said, hey, yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah. I said, hey, what's going on? internet i'm annie i'm kit and i'm mech and this is i will fight you a podcast where we've been turning opinions into facts since 1986 today's fact skeletor should be your role model to prove this we have watched and will then tell you about he-man she-ra a christmas special i want to point out that i've never seen an episode of he-man or she-ra in my life this was an experience meanwhile annie and i have watched i think like 150 episodes maybe about 60 to 70 60 to 70 of he-man okay and then like 10 of she-ra and also my brother was really into he-man so he had a poop ton of the toys oh wait, wait this is i will fight you i can swear we had a crap ton of the toys. Oh, really? That's the step up you're going to make. You're not going to say something like a metric f- ton of toys. You're just going to go up to crap and stop there. Okay, fine. We had a metric f- ton of toys of He-Man toys in the basement, uh, as well as just a pile of Transformers and some G.I. Joes. My brother liked toys. We had like maybe two Barbies. So I recognize a lot of these from the toys and also from like the tie-in comic books that came with the toys that were about like two inches. Let's actually make sure that nobody else is diving into this as Kit did, which I had only realized as I was watching this last night. Kit probably had no freaking clue what the hell we were talking about. I had no idea what was happening. Well, honestly, even if you know what's happening, you have no idea what's happening. Other than Orko's f***ed it all up, which to be honest, he always does that. That's like a regular plot. Orko f***ed it up. Why don't they just let him die? I I don't know. Uh, That's a great question. We kind of wish he would die. He's an eternal wizard from Trala. Let's actually talk about who He-Man and She-Ra are. He-Man is a toy line based on a 1983 cartoon. Well, I say based on, they were sort of created cohesively, kind of like Gem, a cartoon to sell the toys. It's a savage sci-fi show that takes a lot of inspiration for both Flash Gordon and Conan the Barbarian. To paraphrase the opening sequence, there's Adam, Prince of Eternia, who has a... I'm struggling not just to quote the... the Do it. The Do four non-blondes idea. It. I'm Adam, Prince of Eternia. This is my kitty, Mr. Cringerpants, the most cutest kitty in the world. Fabulous secrets were revealed to him the day that he held aloft his magic sword and sang, I mean said, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. Prince Adam basically uh, changes his clothes and becomes He-Man in like a leather loincloth and a harness. This is like a furry underpants. I don't know what this thing is. Whatever it matters is it's sweaty and it probably smells. And that most characters that is in the show don't actually have pants. Some of them have tights or leggings, but they are all worn underneath furry underwear. So Adam fights the evil forces of Skeletor as He-Man. Skeletor basically just wants to get into Castle Grayskull, which is where all the secrets are, and also a lady who is a bird or can be a bird it's not clear she-ra on the other hand was a 1985 spin-off of this there was an original five-part special where he-man traveled to another planet called etheria which is not his home planet eternia and also might be in another dimension i, I was never really clear on that fact and honestly it's not clarified by watching the episodes no, not at all. She-Ra is Adora, who is actually Adam's twin sister, though for the longest time in development, they were considering whether or not she would be his love interest. Oh, that's an odd twist. Yeah, there's a kiss in the original, like, five-part thing, because I guess we're just going real Star Wars here. Ugh. Well, I mean, it's a kid's show. It's like a peck on the cheek. I don't know. 
speaking of Star Wars, it's the same sort of thing. Stolen away as babies, but not because their dad's Darth Vader. Is their dad Skeletor? Uh, if only. That would have been awesome. Dad Skeletor would be the raddest thing ever. Imagining him scolding children in that voice of his. Hey! <laughs> Adora slash She-Ra lives on Ethereum and works with a great rebellion to basically free the planet from its occupation by a man called Hordak, who's like a monster skull beast guy. There was also a creature called Horde Prime who actually commanded Hordak and Skeletor. Though it's worth knowing that there's a chain of command thing, apparently Hordak was Skeletor's old master, which probably makes She-Ra stronger than He-Man. But the important thing is that He-Man is the most powerful man in the universe. It's in the opening credits and every character forgets this every episode. She-Ra, by turn, is the most powerful woman in the universe. Probably stronger than He-Man, I would guess, but... Whatever. Also, since it's, you know, the 80s cartoon, neither of them can actually use their swords to, like, cut things. Unless it's a robot. So they'll just punch everything. He-Man punches everything. He throws a lot of stuff. The shows were made using a technique that involved a lot of reused animation cells. So we'll see the same shots and the same poses and the same movements, like, a lot. If you watch a lot of He-Man, you start to get favorites. My personal favorite is... Skeletor puts his fists up, then raises them. Sometimes he's got his staff. There's a lot of weird camera angles, like up-the-nose shots. And they focus a lot on faces. And I don't mean, like, you know, focusing on faces. I mean, they will zoom in, cut off half the face, and just have somebody shout something. One of my other favorites was guy in extreme close-up, someone behind them in the other half of the frame. There was a really great shot that I don't I don't think got reused, but Adam turns into He-Man, and then there's a shot of Adora, and you just see He-Man in profile trundle across the shot with this very purposeful walk. Like he's power walking through. Oh yeah, everybody power walks in He-Man. And beyond that, you know, we watched maybe eight episodes of She-Ra, which is a shame because this special uses a lot of She-Ra characters because it was the one that was actually, like, more popular at the time because it was the newer one. I can remember Bo and I can remember Cal. Yeah, that's about it. And Madame Raz, who sadly has no lines. And I and I remember some of these He-Man characters, but otherwise, like, guys, I always want to experience this exactly as it is. I want to be baffled. I want it to be wondrous and beautiful, and I don't want to understand, like, most of it beyond vague contextual clues. I think Kit might actually have experienced this in its purest form. So, people in our comments section, this is your cue not to write us enormous essays explaining how everything in He-Man works. We want this to be weird. We want this to be baffling. We love you guys, but we don't want to know. Please don't ruin this for us. Let's get into this. So we start on Eternia where it's there's snow and I think that's the only time you ever see snow in the entire freaking series on that set piece and you would think it would be Christmas at the castle but it's not it's apparently Adam and Adora's birthday in a couple of days and everybody is here to celebrate what I love about this is that we do this a couple of times where we pan across this empty space that I guess is in in the castle it's not very well defined and it's like guess which ones are He-Man characters and guess which ones are She-Ra characters like the She-Ra characters have like a little bit more pink and fairy wings but other than that it's just except for Bo who looks like he's straight out of it yeah Bo is basically Errol Flynn who is mostly abs She-Ra is basically He-Man but with a palette swap so everything is significantly pinker whereas like all of the dudes are just like I am savage sci-fi I wear blue and gray 
Queen Marlena, who, first off, the King and Queen of Eternia are King Randor and Queen Marlena. You will know them because they look like they walk out of the worst Ren Festival ever. It's true. And an important point of note for Marlena, which is going to be coming up shortly, is that she is from Earth, and she crash-landed on Eternia and met Randor and had twins. Crash-landed in what? A a rocket ship. She was an astronaut. Yeah, Marlena's actually an astronaut from Earth. Probably an astrophysicist. I don't know. Whenever I was watching this, my brain kept flashing back to Captara. Yes! Chip isn't making that many changes after all. Yeah, the characters in Captara swear a little more, and there's some more overt homosexuality, but... That is pretty much the only difference Keptar is so, like, pound for pound He-Man in the best way. Speaking of which, internet friends, you guys should read Keptara. And Queen Marlena is like, wow, this reminds me of Christmas. And we get the question that we're going to have all freaking special, which is, Christmas? What's that? You know, it reminds me of how we used to get ready for the Christmas each year. Meanwhile, out of a launch pad, Adam and this character is Man-at-Arms. We love Man-at-Arms. Man-at-Arms is amazing. Man-at-Arms slash Duncan. He used to be captain of the guards, I think, which is why all the guards have his uniform, but he passed that job off to his daughter, Tila, and he is sort of like a science officer, I guess. He's got a lab. How do you make the jump from captain of the guard to science officer? That's a great question. And the best part is there's like no other scientists. So like Man at Arms just has a giant lab, which Orko perennially comes in and like something up in there and something explodes slash causes the plot for the episode. I forget people's names really fast. But as soon as Orko appeared on the screen, I said, no, Orko, go away. You're going to it up. He's made that much of an impression. He's yes, he's he's that much of a up here. Orko is kind of like the worst Mr. Mickey Spitlick. He's a tiny wizard from, it's an alternate dimension planet named Trolla, where everybody looks like that. And he is a magician of some sort. And most of the show is him trying a magic trick that screws up and usually blows up in Man-at-Arms' face, sometimes literally, and Man-at-Arms hates him. Uh, But anyway, Man-at-Arms is making something called a Sky Spy. It's like a rocket, but but more more surreptitious. I don't know how you can make a stealth rocket, but here we are. Is Man-at-Arms, is he making the, uh, the Eternian NSA? Yes. So Orko finds the ship, he wanders up to him, he pops inside because he is the worst. And then he somehow turns on the engines. So the Sky Spy takes off with Orko inside. And Orko then flies off into the title cards. The great thing about the title cards, too, is that the first card after the He-Man She-Ra Christmas special is written by Don Heckman and Bob Forward. Those don't sound like real names. Those sound like names that I would make up and put on the title card of like a spoof Adult Swim 80s cartoon. You know, you're right. Like Heckman in particular seems like something you made up on the spot. It sounds like a drill tweet. Back in the skies of Eternia, we see Skeletor's ship, which I found out it's called the Collector. And apparently, like, I couldn't remember this thing, but John and I were re-watching He-Man from the start the other day, and it turns out this thing is from, like, episode three, which is also apparently where we discover that Beast Man, another one of Skeletor's lackeys, actually sleeps on some rags in the garage. I thought that was a joke I made up, but apparently no, that's real. Skeletor is staffing the ship with four minions that I have, like, never seen before. They must have come, like, way later. I recognize the toys of a couple of these guys, but that's about it. But Skeletor is like, what the hell is that? Go get it. It's probably like something that I should shoot and destroy. It's not a bad assumption. 
honestly. He's like a cat chasing the little laser thing. He sees thing, he must kill it. So He-Man sees this is happening, decides to give chase, he he transforms. Did I forget to mention that one of He-Man's superpowers, besides being the most powerful man in the universe, is uh, dad jokes? You did forget to mention that, yes. Because He-Man transforms, and I swear to God, he gets the worst, like, I think they're supposed to be clever, but he just has the worst dad jokes, case in point. He's got some, some retractable claws that come out of this, the collector ship. And uh, he's like, I think these claws need a manicure. And then he like chops the arms off. After unnecessarily wrestling with them for an interminably long amount of time. They have got a lot of animation cells of He-Man wrestling with stuff. All right, they have got to get their money's worth. <laughs> and then he gets like caught up by something called force belts, which are basically just little metal tentacles. And they make like little goofy Warner Brothers cartoon noises, which makes it impossible to take them seriously as a threat. Man, that happens a lot in this special. And I don't remember it happening as much in the like first half of He-Man, but this must have become a thing. Anyway, She-Ra comes to the rescue on her flying horse, which is still like the greatest. She-Ra has a freaking flying horse. A flying unicorn horse. Yeah, She-Ra flies on a flying unicorn horse and He-Man has a giant green tiger called Battlecat. So She-Ra actually spent the money for the prestige mount. Yeah, she put in the gold for the flying mount. Oh, these timely Warcraft jokes in the year of our Lord 2016. Here we are! Take them or leave them! Anyway, He-Man and She-Ra both punch a hole in the ship, which I'm gonna admit is actually kind of rad. Orko, meanwhile, decides to try a spell in the Sky Spy, and I'm just gonna read this one spell, and you can just take it from us for the rest of this episode that Orko has the worst spell. Sky Spy, Sky Spy, Skippity Scafe, take me down to someplace safe. Scafe. Scafe. There's not even any meter in here, Orko! No wonder it doesn't work. I'm glad that everybody hates Orko as equally as we do. Orko is now sped up and like gone to hyperspeed or something. Oh no, he's gone forever. Oh no. What a loss. Whatever will we do without Orko? Meanwhile, because of the punching, apparently Skeletor's ship's autopilot is damaged, so it's taking them back to Snake Mountain, which I guess that line by itself, if you don't have any context for that, that must have been great, Kit. Oh, it was just, especially it was coming out horribly garbled out of a lizard man. Taking us back to Snake Mountain. Skeletor, I love this. This is the first great Skeletor moment in the special because he just says, what? Throws one of them a parachute and jettisons all four minions. He had a bit of a tantrum. He's the best. I love Skeletor. Also, he makes a gesture like he's milking the giant cow in the sky. Yeah, that's his, that's his angry arms. Meanwhile, Orko comes out of light speed. And he comes onto what we learn is supposed to be planet Earth, though it looks a little like Hoth, because I guess since it's wintertime in the United States, it's wintertime everywhere. Like the seas have frozen over. There's some wampas. It's, it's a whole thing. But he crash lands and uh, smashes into the ground and unfortunately doesn't die. He lands in the American countryside somewhere, which is too bad. Because you can you imagine if he'd landed in Australia for Christmas? Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, no, Orca was landed in the Snowy Mountains, which I'm guessing is maybe like, I don't know, Colorado? I mean, those mountains are big enough that it's gotta be in the Rockies. It can't be the Smokies. Anyway, he hears some cries for help, and then he saves a couple of kids from an avalanche, and he floats them up and out of the way. His spell works this time. And the weird thing is that these kids are not immediately horrified by this floating gremlin with no legs. 
who around his eyes is only an inky blackness and some blue ears. Underneath his little dress is nothing. I don't know. Kids can deal with this stuff way better than adults can. I just feel like that even as a kid, I would at least be a little startled. They never even ask, like, what are you? They just assume he's their new best friend. So Arco's like, I don't know, whatever. I've got a, I've got a little ship over there. Let's go hang out there. The kids were out looking for a Christmas tree until the little girl's wails, until we got lost. So what we're about to do is we're about to start like a bunch of scenes where we cut back to Eternia and they're actually doing things and they cut back to Orko and he's interrogating the children about Christmas. And it's only when you hear someone try to explain what Christmas is that you realize how weird Christmas is. You know, I know that there's like a thought exercise that you can do where it's like, try to explain this tradition to an alien who has no context. And man, you know what? Passover involves plagues of frogs in its origin story, and it is less convoluted than this whole Christmas mythos. Yeah, it especially gets weird once you get out of the biblical thing and into, but why do you have a tree in your house? The intersection of the Christian tradition of Christmas with secular Christmas and all of the bits and pieces of holiday traditions and wintertime traditions that have been melded into it makes this just a giant fuck pot of tradition. So in Eternia, let's just go over the Eternian stuff. Uh, they're going to use a finder ray to find the ship slash Orco, uh, which apparently Man-at-Arms has. And, like, the first time we do it, we cut back to Orko, and they're like, You don't know about Christmas? Everybody knows about Christmas! Americanization is seen to it! And, like, Orko keeps looping back around to presents, the girl mentions an angel, and Orko's like, Now I'm really confused! And Miguel is the name of the little boy. He says, Well, it's not confusing at all! The theology of the Incarnation is really very straightforward. Christology has never caused any schisms or anything! It's universally agreed upon, in fact! Thankfully, we fade out back to Eternia while Miguel starts in with a long, long time ago. And you know what I keep thinking about this conversation? In theory, Miguel is going to start in with, you know, just the isolated story of the nativity. But I mean, Orko's gonna keep asking questions, right? So Miguel's gonna keep having to loop back to give him context on why, on why Christ is important. He's gonna start having to go back into, like, the Old Testament. We're gonna have to start looping back and back and be like, well, you see, in the Old Testament, you keep seeing the lamb as a metaphor and what we believe is that this is actually a, a thing that is referencing the Christ before it happened and it just keeps going back and back. Orko is going to get a crash course in the entirety of the Judeo-Christian story and all I wanted to know was presents. And I have this in my notes. Miguel is going to basically explain all of Christianity to Orko. And then I paused and I scribbled, I really just wrote that sentence, didn't I? Meanwhile, in Eternia, they lock onto the coordinates for the Sky Spy. Queen Marlena recognizes it as Earth. Keep in mind, by the way, that Queen Marlena can't go back to Earth. I mean, she's sort of like settled and given up on that idea, but she has not seen Earth since she crash landed as a young woman. And she's got two like ambiguously adult children. Who knows how old they are? We see no emotional reaction from her whatsoever. Man in Arms is like, I can make a transporter, but we need a water crystal. And they're like, well, whatever the fuck that is, maybe it's on Ethereum. We jump back to Orko. And the three wise men! Oh no, we're still here. After they finish up the story of the nativity, Orko's like, oh, that's a lovely story about your religion and the savior who was fully God and fully man and died for our sins, but let's back up. 
You said there was free shit? So now they're going to explain Santa Claus, and I can't imagine how Orko's going to reconcile these two things. Are they gonna tell him that it's the former bishop of Turkey? Are they gonna tell him that St. Nicholas punched a heretic once? I mean, they're gonna have to have, like, a lot of Germanic folklore on top of this. They're gonna have to mention Odin. Maybe they'll just start liberally quoting from David Sedaris's essay on six to eight black men. I don't know how they're gonna make this connection from, like, Christ, the central figure of all of Christendom, and go to the guy on the coke bottle. Thank god we cut away. Anyway, Adora transforms into She-Ra, which by the way, I think she has a better transformation sequence than He-Man. I'm just gonna say that because the trumpet fanfare is really rad. And there's a lot of glitter. Like, like I said, it's just He-Man, but a palette swap to be girlier. And then she just like gets on her horse and flies back to her home planet? Does she need a rocket ship? It's a rocket horse. Swift Wind can do anything. I mean, let's be honest here. Just from the sheer power of his voice, he could traverse dimensions. Yeah, you're probably right. Swiftwind is scary. Meanwhile, She-Ra is having a chat with a mermaid. There's a water crystal on Ethereal, all right? This mermaid seems to know, like, about everything that's in water, which I'm fine with that. But apparently this water crystal is being guarded by the Beast Monster. I have that in all caps in my notes. The Beast Monster. I thought that was just a legend. No, it's just, it's just lazy bullshit. And also this mermaid talks so quietly that I missed most of her dialogue. Also, she's got kind of like an indiscernible accent. That's kind of like a thing with a lot of the female characters in He-Man and She-Ra. I swear they only have like two voice actresses. So it's just one woman or maybe two women just sort of changing their voice a little for a lot of characters. So you get a lot of weird shit. She-Ra pops over to the ruins to fight the beast monster, which is apparently a giant jabberwock. It's like the creature from the Black Lagoon type thing. Like a kaiju almost. The mermaid, whose name is Mermista, snatches the water crystal and hands it off. Just as she was about to leave, she is stopped by an earthquake, and then Swiftwind opens his f***ing mouth. We've been alluding to it. Let's talk about Swiftwind. Oh god. So Swiftwind looks like he's a normal horse that She-Ra can turn into a flying unicorn thing? This looks pretty normal. Um, and in fact, when as a normal horse, Swiftwind doesn't talk, he just kind of snorts and does horse things. When he transforms, he's got like a pink and blue thing going on. He's lots of like fun girly colors. You think he'd like be like, oh, hello, Shira. Let's go fight evil. No, this is not Swiftwind. Uh, Swiftwind instead is an embodiment of true evil. He talks with this low baritone rumble that would terrify anybody if it was heard in a dark room. It sounds like it's been put through like the satanic filter on any like child's toy voice changer. The first time that Shira transforms into Shira and thereby transforms her horse into swift wind. She lands on the horse. It turns to her and says, I'm swift wind now. It's like, how can you argue with that? I'm not going to tell that thing no. You get the feeling that it's concern for the children is mostly so it can devour them later. Oh God, it's the worst voice. I don't know what this decision-making process was. How can She-Ra function when she's constantly being screamed at by a demon horse? I love that Swiftwind is a photorealistically drawn horse. I love it when people draw photorealistic horses in, like, children's cartoons, because it really just- Horse faces are scary. They are just a little wrong-looking. They are distinctly unheimlich, and drawing a photorealistic horse next to, like, f***ing Rainbow Bright is, like, the creepiest thing. And by the way, Rainbow Bright's horse is, in fact, photorealistic. Anyway, now there's robots. 
There's giant robots. They're indiscriminately giant. Yeah, we have no idea what size they actually are. They vary from shot to shot. They really do. But they are evil for some reason. I I couldn't really catch what the hell their motivation was supposed to be. Just that they are like an obstacle. They trap She-Ra in a bubble and then they're like, let's go for some reason. Swiftwind like bleats out, they're changing into other forms. What evil robots. Hey now. I don't think he likes Transformers. I don't think he likes Transformers at all. Was this supposed to be like a dig at the Transformers cartoon around the same time? I can't tell. When did G1 start? G1 was 1984. So yeah, I mean, it's possible that this is a dig or maybe it's just a weird line and Swiftwind is just evil and the worst. Anyway, She-Ra identifies these things as monstroids. She says our friends the Mancheens told her about them. She-Ra cuts a hole in the bubble with her sword while it's on fire and then she roundhouse kicks it open. Which seems unnecessary, but here we are. Uh, it's still pretty rad. I kind of love She-Ra, like, a lot. Does she just roundhouse kick everything? Does she hurricane kick the fridge shut? <laughs> you know, I wouldn't put it past her. Anyway, back in attorney, a man-at-arms, uh, has the water crystal, so he turns on the ray. And then we cut back to where Orko and the children are shouting, Jingle bells! Jingle bells! Jingle bells! Over and over again. They're not even getting to the rest of the song. They don't have the rights to the rest of the song. No. Uh, so Orko, for some reason, takes the kids, like, hand in hand, and takes them into the transporter ray. Why would you not just leave them there. They I don't know, but now we have two human children on Eternia named Alicia and Miguel. And this upsets the balance of good and evil in Eternia. You think that's sarcasm? It's not. That's a real plot point. Because now we get to something called Horde Prime, which is like if Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget was really, really, really evil and really big and was constantly surrounded by a fog machine instead of a chair. I don't know. This is something introduced later in She-Ra. I guess, I don't know, but he's like, A NEW SPIRIT OF GOODNESS HAS ARRIVED ON ETERNIA! So he summons Skeletor and Hordak. I want to point out the Skeletor and Hordak standing next to each other. They don't look like they belong on the same show. Someone spent a lot more time drawing Hordak than they did Skeletor. You know what I think this is? I think it's like when you have a... Think about a show where you have sort of your base cast and everybody's a very simple design. Usually like when they're cartoon animals or something, these are usually the characters that don't have any clothes. They're just kind of simple. They're fun. They're basic. And then as you start breaking out your ancillary cast, these characters have to get more and more detailed. And that's what happened. Skeletor is like a blue guy in purple leather and he has a skull for a head. That's his character design. It's very elegant. I don't know what the f*** Hordak is. Hordak looks like someone started drawing him and never stopped. Like those mid-odds Transformers comics where it was like here's a square, now draw a whole bunch of lines on it. Yeah, basically. Horde Prime summons Hordak and Skeletor to kill Christmas. Again, we're not making this up. This is actually what happens. He wants them to kill Christmas and then Hordak and Skeletor argue over who's gonna kill Christmas first. And Skeletor says one of the best lines. You can't even handle that muscle-bound female, She-Ra! Is Skeletor a Ferengi? Has Skeletor been on Reddit? Has he been hanging out with Meninists? Muscle-bound female. They say that like it's a bad thing. We're also talking about, like, it turns out Adora's origin story was she was kidnapped by the Horde and raised, like, as one of their captains. So she was a bad guy for a while before, like, He-Man awakened her to her true identity as She-Ra. Are you saying that Adora is Furiosa? <gasps> 
I might be. So yeah, Horda can't even handle this woman that he hand-raised to be, like, an incredibly strong lieutenant. Adora is basically, like, the sixth ranger in a Sentai show. Horde Prime also says that whoever kills Christmas first will be rewarded, and Skeletor also does a great thing where he just pops up a thumb in his head, and he says this, like, that's me! He's just so delightful. He's so excited. He's gonna kill Christmas. It's gonna be him. That's me. It's very difficult to take him seriously as a villain. Uh, and, you know, he was much more, like, intentionally menacing earlier on, like, when the show started. And I think this more cartooniness thing happened, you know, as the series went on, especially by the time She-Ra started running concurrently. But it's like they started to figure out that, wait a minute, everybody loves Skeletor. Back on Eternia, the kids have explained Christmas to everyone. Actually, Orko has explained what the children explained to him about Christmas, which that game of telephone must be phenomenal to listen to. Queen Marlena is also said that, you know, the this crystal apparently won't be ready to transport them home for another couple of days, but the twins' birthday is tomorrow, so why don't we just do a joint birthday Christmas thing? Speaking as someone, and Annie is also in the same boat, who has a birthday around Christmas, this is bullshit. How dare you? This is the worst thing you could ever do to someone whose birthday falls around Christmas. Oh, we'll just do a joint birthday Christmas party. No, never. How dare you? The kids are hanging out on like the lawn with Bo and a character whose name is apparently Perfuma and also Orko and Cowl. Cowl is the name of the like flying owl thing. With the ears and it's awful. And you're very lucky, Kit, that Cowl doesn't have any lines because he is the biggest douche nugget in the entirety of He-Man and She-Ra. He hangs out with Bo and is like, oh, I didn't think you could actually hit anything, Bo. <laughs> He's an asshole. Wow. Okay, yeah, I'm really glad he didn't talk in this. And, like, there's this moment, I swear, where Perfuma's just making flowers and the kids are just staring at her like they cannot believe all this whimsical bullshit. Speaking of whimsical bullshit, Bo starts his awkward song. Is Bo like a bard? Yeah, he's like a bard and he can like shoot stuff with a bow and arrow and he looks a little like Errol Flynn. And Bo is the token boy character in She-Ra. I kind of love Bo, honestly. He wears a costume that like covers a bit of his chest and then the rest of him is abs. And he's got a big old heart right on his sternum. I think later on he might be like a romantic interest for She-Ra slash Adora, but I don't think it's ever overtly talked about. There are at least pictures of him and Adora kissing. Anyway, Bo has an awkward Christmas song that he made up with the kids. Uh, and I don't know why it's here. It's like they have to keep hammering home that this is a Christmas special. Well, it's not like anything else is indicating otherwise. For f**k's sake, we just had a whole sequence where She-Ra went to a gigantic, like, cyberpunk dystopia ruin to fight a Jabberwock and some giant robots. Merry Christmas, everyone! Not that I'm complaining, that's pretty rad. They had a plot already, and then they just started splicing in Christmas wherever they could. You know, that's not something that I would disbelieve. This is 40 minutes, and I I think maybe only about 20 of it involves Christmas directly, and a lot of that is like off-screen explaining Christendom to Orko. Christmas spirits everywhere, Eternia. How do you know these words? <laughs> Nobody bothered to remember the Christmas song except for Mac. I'm not surprised at all. But as soon as the song is over, Hordak arrives in a giant wang. 
what is what is that? I'm not even sure that thing's a toy. It's it's it looks exactly like a giant helicopter dildo. And it's one of those ergonomic dildos too. It's very classy. Anyway, trust us, it's definitely a giant flying sex toy. And it has a freeze beam and a tractor beam. John was watching this with me and he's like, I love this. I love that they sing this little Christmas song and the minute it's over, a giant flying wang shows up and you have Hordak like making piggy noises and going like, set up the tractor beam. Anyway, Hordak makes off with the kids and like back to Etheria where the monstroids notice the wang ship and grab it. How big are they? They're indeterminately large. And it turns out the monstroids want the kids and Orko be, be because something about dealing with Horde Prime? I don't know. Anyway, the important thing in this scene is that Hordak does an actual cartoon like the wind up, the run in place, and the peel out like a Scooby-Doo character. Like he actually does that thing where his arms go up and his leg goes up and he's like ready to just whoop. The next scene, like, opens with She-Ra saying, We know the children are in the fright zone, but we don't know where. Merry Christmas, everyone! The fright zone. Whatever the hell that is. What is the fright zone? I don't know! Why are they asking a peacock woman where the children are? I don't know. She has vision of things sometimes, I guess. I guess this is their friend Peekablue, which I'm pretty sure is the name of a poke god later found out to be Meryl, the water type Pokemon. Peekablue says that she's found them using the eyes on her peacock feathers and that the Mansheens are going to rescue them. That's right, the Mansheens are back. You might think, oh, the Mansheens, they must be like androids. Have you seen Gummy Bears? Have you seen the Gummy Bears cartoon? Because these look like cyberpunk Gummy Bears. I just have a note in here that just says the Mansheens are the worst. They are, they're the absolute worst. I mean, the backgrounds in here, it's all very savage sci-fi. It's pretty dark and grim. And then you have these like pastel, like, they look like they walked out of the background of a Rainbow Bright episode. Why are these here? Were these another toy line that Mattel was trying to, like, promote? Maybe it's because I remember the Thundercats had row bears that were, like, teddy bear robots. So maybe they were like, this is a requisite. We gotta get in on this shit. Let's make some machines. But they live in this awful dystopia with these giant semi-transforming robots. I say semi-transforming because their transformation sequences suck. Yeah, one of them just lifts up his arms and legs and rockets off. That's his transformation. So He-Man and She-Ra show up because the machines are terrible. There's a stupid chase scene. I don't even want to get into it. And we do this thing where, like, the robots go after him and they seem to keep forgetting that He-Man and Shira are the most powerful man and woman in the universe. They can punch you to death. They're not gonna use their swords, except Shira uses she orders her sword to transform into a lasso. Yeah, Shira's sword turns into stuff, like it turns into fire and it turns into a lasso. I you know what? At least she's actually getting some use out of it as opposed to He-Man. Yeah, who just has it and then punches things to death. Yeah, they they beat the crap out of the monstroids. And meanwhile, the kids are like, oh look, a man sheen puppy. They're not paying attention at all. This, like, quote-unquote dog pops up to them. We say quote-unquote because it's not- look at that thing. It's not a dog. It's not a dog. I think its name is Relay, but it's just a horrible abomination. I can't- you're just gonna have to Google this, guys. I can't- we can't even begin to get into this. This is terrible. They're distracted by this horrible dog creature, and Skeletor shows up and nabs them in his, like, flying jet ski. The good thing is, is that we see this first shot of Skeletor on, on the thing, finding the kids. 
kids. Then we see the kids. And then the next shot is just them on the bike with no transition in between. And the best thing is that it does that one animation, which is I looped around from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen and back to the right side of the screen, which is like stock He-Man animation. We see that like eight times in a row. And the thing about these kids whenever they're kidnapped is that they never, ever try to get away. They're never even really restrained. They're very polite, all things considered. They just go wherever people tell them to. So Hordex sees Skeletor's jet ski and he just kind of like shoots it down and then Skeletor crashes into the snowy mountains. The snowy mountains renex the horrible burning hellscape. Right, you know, it's a thing. We have this. It's Eternia. This is normal. This is fine. It's savage sci-fi. What are you going to do? So Skeletor decides that they're just going to march the kids off, but they're too cold. And they're already wearing winter coats. I want to point that out. And they had already gotten lost in the mountains and they seemed like- They seemed okay. These are Etheria slash Eternia mountains, which means they're like a billion times colder or something. Again, right next to the burning hellscape. Skeletor is doing great. He's a skeleton. What does he have to worry about? He's not a skeleton though. He just has a skull face. Really? I just imagined him. I, I figured that was like a papyrus thing he had going on where he was just a skeleton inside a suit i don't think that's a bodysuit but you know what his origins are unclear sometimes his face just got turned into a skull you know i don't know it's best not to worry too much about it and the kids are like oh no but it's so cold be nice it's christmas and skeletor of course is like what the f- is a christmas they mention it and he's like that's disgusting Skeletor casts a be parkered spell. So now the kids have coats on their coats. And what's weird is that like throughout this whole thing, they keep calling Skeletor Mr. I don't know how anyone could look at Skeletor and refer to him as Mr. Not like thing, you wretched thing. You horrible abomination. How does anything come out of your mouth? What is behind your skull but an inky veil of night? Nothing phases these kids. They never scream. They're never concerned. They're not at all like affected by the strange and nightmarish things happening around and they're just there and they talk about Christmas. They're not even like delighted when neat things happen. They're just like, we want to go home and have Christmas. That's their entire character. Have you heard about Christmas? We can tell you about Christmas. These horrible little Moppet children. And also, I love that in this special, especially, Skeletor is one of those, like, it follows, like, cartoonish evil rules where you hate anything that is nice and good, especially the words, because Skeletor is like, kind, never use that word around me. Skeletor is also trying to leave that dog to die in the snow. Which, it's a robot dog. Can it die in the snow? I don't know. I mean, it could, like, shut down, right? Skeletor has a moment of weakness and he's like no blast it and picks up this f***ing dog creature and it starts licking his face which I don't know what that must feel like to lick bone maybe it's trying to like gnaw get the marrow out of his face bones and it's like I don't know what's coming over me but I don't like it and then we go to a commercial break and we come back to the best scene in the movie so they're walking down a mountain they were like it was nice of you to save Relay and he's like I am not nice And then we get into, I mean, this is the most surreal part of this entire freaking movie is this conversation where a kid struggles to explain Christmas to a cartoonish villain. It's incredible. And this is where we are reaching the uh, the center point of our argument about Skeletor and why he should be your role model. Tell me more about this Christmas. Well, it's a wonderful time of year. Everyone has lots of fun. You mean they get in fights? No! They have fun! Fights are fun! I like fights! And then you give each other presents! And when you open them, they explode, right? No, they're nice gifts! Nice? Doesn't sound like much fun to me! Fights are fun! He likes fights! (laughs) 
Okay, okay, look, look. Here's the thing. Skeletor is the villain of a cartoon that involves fights in every episode, and it goes for, like, 150 fucking episodes. Not including the episodes that he's in Shira. Skeletor likes fights. Fights are fun. Skeletor gets into a fight every single day of his fucking life. And here's the thing, Skeletor is the bad guy, he loses. Skeletor gets up every morning, he goes to a job that he loves, he does what he loves. He gets in fights. He gets in fights, maybe he doesn't win those fights, maybe he doesn't do so great, but he gets up the next morning and he does it again. Skeletor loves his job and he keeps trying all the time. It doesn't matter if he wins the fight, just that he's in one. There's actually a single episode in the He-Man universe where Skeletor wins. And Annie and I, as we were watching this, we're like, this is kind of weird. But as we watch it, in the end, He-Man, you know, of course, comes back and reclaims Castle Grayskull and everything's good in the end. But what happens to get He-Man to win is so dumb that the only thing we can postulate is that Skeletor was like, wow, this is really kind of boring now. I want to go back to what I was doing and just kind of let He-Man have it back. That episode's great because, look, Skeletor gives He-Man amnesia and then sends him to another dimension where he doesn't recognize anything. And Man-at-Arms, who is usually like the number two guy. He has to stay back at the castle and protect it from Skeletor. So the sorceress sends her B team to go get He-Man. Her B team is Orko, Cringer, who is not Battle Cat, by the way, who is a scared talking tiger who is afraid of everything, and Ram Man. If Man-at-Arms and He-Man were taken out, these would be the people the sorceress would choose to protect the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is her B team. Oh god, how is she not lost yet? <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, it seems like Mecha Neck, the guy whose only superpower is has a mechanical neck that goes up really high, would be a better choice here. Anyway, we had a point that we were circling around to. Right. Here's the thing. Skeletor should be your role model. You should want to have a life like Skeletor's, where it doesn't matter if you're the best at something, but you do what you love every single day. It doesn't have to be getting into fights. Although that would be pretty great. But it should be something that you love. It doesn't have to be your job, but it should be something where you participated in it every day. You do a little better sometimes, maybe you don't, but you love it all the same. We here at I Will Fight You firmly believe in this point that Skeletor should be your role model. This epiphany aside, Skeletor and the group are menaced by a snow beast. Skeletor defeats it, and the kids are like, oh, thank you, Mr. Skeletor. You saved us. You really are wonderful. And he does this, like, little smile. They heap more praise on Skeletor for saving them than they ever do on She-Ra or He-Man, who honestly do a lot more. Anyway, he's smiling, and then he shakes his head, and he's like, listen, I am not nice, I am not kind, and I am not wonderful. And then he marches them off again to, like, a fiery wasteland? I'm not really sure what this is. Where Horde Prime arrives in the giant spaceship. As you do. Uh, and so does Hordak, He-Man, She-Ra, and Orko. So you can tell this is going to be our climax, I would hope. Look, they're not going to draw that many characters at the same time unless something gets resolved. Hordak has shown up with a whole legion of his robot soldiers, which we had a toy of those things. Those things are great. But basically, He-Man and She-Ra are busy beating up some robots while Horde Prime almost grabs the kids. And then Skeletor, like, sees this happening. He's like, I don't know what's happening to me, but I must save the children. This is actually kind of terrifying. Christmas has, like, overridden Skeletor's free will. It's true. This is apparently what is actually happening. Because he blasts the ship's claw catcher and the engines. And then He-Man and She-Ra throw the ship into space. And Skeletor has a nervous freaking breakdown. I don't like to feel good. I like to feel evil. Oh. 
And they're like, well, it must be Christmas cheer, but it's okay. Christmas is only once a year. Skeletor is going to be terrified of Christmas for the rest of his fucking life. Every year he's going to have to go through this. Do you think it's going to be like he's just going to lock himself in a room while he feels the need to bake cookies and like volunteer at an orphanage? He's just going to trust like Beast Man. It's like, take the key. Don't let me out no matter what I say until New Year's. So then we go back to our denouement. We go back to the castle of Eternia where King Randor and Queen Marlena are still hanging out. We we do this little like sequence where some f- with an elephant head puts a star on the Christmas tree. I don't know who the hell that is. Adam is playing the worst Santa Claus ever, and it's unclear whether the kids believe him, but he gives them something called a flying belt. Which is exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, that, that's all it does. It must be kind of like the uh, the Legion of Superheroes ring that lets you fly and stuff. I don't know. Man-at-Arms is like ready to send them home, but before they go home, they give the robo-puppy to, and, and they're like, send this back home to the machines. And you know what? That thing's irritating as f- but I gotta ask, why not keep the robo-puppy? I mean, it didn't seem to have any particular attachment to the machines. They just saw it. Not to mention, it seems like, you know, that's par for the course, right? You get an animal familiar on your travels, and then you get to take it home. But these kids didn't have a a hero's journey so much as they had a hero's walking simulator. If anything, all the character development went to Skeletor, who's going to promptly hate it and forget it by the next episode. Were they proactive about anything except, like, explaining Judeo-Christian mythology to or They basically did that RPG playthrough where you do none of the side quests and get the worst ending. And so they head home, and Man-at-Arms apparently has a camera to Earth. I feel like Marlena should have emotions about that. Yeah, right? Like, can I go home and visit my parents? They might be dead. I don't know. I mean, you really think Marlena would be like, you could make a transporter to Earth this whole time? You son of a bitch. This whole time, Duncan, you asshole. I mean, I love it here, but I might want to visit, you know? I had friends. I was an astrophysicist. I might want to report back to NASA that other planets with sentient life exist. But anyway, the kids have a flying belt. The parents are like, whoa? Then everybody's like, Merry Christmas. These kids have been missing for days and all the parents are like, oh, well, thank goodness you're back. Now time to go to bed. Maybe this is just a family trait to be completely nonplussed at any outrageous thing that happens. Except flying belts. That's the one thing that breaks through the apathy. That's going too far. Anyway, back on Etheria, Adora and Adam are like, Merry Christmas, sis. Merry Christmas, brother. And Orko pops into the camera like, Merry Christmas, everyone. Can I just point out that it irks me whenever a fictional character refers to their sister as sis? I've never heard a human being use the word sis in that kind context. Oh my god, seriously. I call Brian my older brother BB or Big Bro, and he calls me LS or Little Sis. Oh, but that's kind of cute though. Like, disgustingly so. But yeah, it's Merry Christmas, everyone, and then it's over. No, it's not over yet, because this is He-Man, which means we have a moral at the end of every episode. And the best part is, usually the morals in He-Man, like, okay, look, the other night I watched an episode of He-Man where you would think the moral would be about teamwork, because everybody worked together to, like, make this ray go in reverse and unfreeze people. Don't worry about it. So the closest moral you could think of would be teamwork. And then the moral comes up and He-Man and Tila are talking about how great it is to run and how good it is for your health. Running. Exercise. Exercise. It is good for you. Talk to your doctor first. This is par for the course for He-Man. Which is weird because this moral actually is like thematically appropriate. Yeah, because the theme is Christmas. That's the entire theme. 
What I love is that Adam is like sitting in a big comfy chair in like a study or something. Or is this He-Man? I think it might be He-Man. The point is that it's a Franklin Delano Roosevelt fireside chat. It absolutely is. And he's like, not everyone celebrates Christmas, but the spirit of Christmas is within us all, whether you like it or not. And then Orko is just like, who cares? Presents! I'm with Orko on this one. Oh, Orko, you spirit of consumerism, you. And and that's pretty much the end. That's the end. Just Orko reminds us that what we really all care about is Christmas presents. So that's that's the He-Man She-Ra Christmas special. Or I'm sorry, He-Man and She-Ra a Christmas special. Y'all should know that this is actually up on YouTube for free. This isn't like somebody just uploaded a bootleg. This is actually by the verified YouTube account He-Man Official. This is something that you can all watch for free anytime you want. You guys should definitely waste 40 minutes of your life on this. I especially recommend it if you've never seen He-Man or She-Ra in your life. It's amazing. So now that we've officially convinced you that Skeletor should be your role model, let's cover any of the other stone-cold facts that we have to present to you today after this episode. Kit, what are your stone-cold facts from this episode? The stone-cold fact, there is no discernible difference between a Adult Swim spoof of a 1980s toy cartoon and an actual 1980s toy cartoon. Mac, what do you got for us? Hordak is more terrifying than Skeletor, which goes to show that girls are stronger than boys. And my stone cold fact is that when Christmas comes around, you should lock yourself in your closet lest you bake cookies for someone. And with those cold hard facts now embedded into your brain, brought to you by I Will Fight You, I believe it is time for us to say goodnight, dear listeners. Next episode, cold hard fact, Will Riker and Han Solo represent the most misunderstood character archetype in the history of fiction. I Will Fight You comes out just about every six weeks. We're still narrowing down that schedule. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and YouTube. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. This is due to our Patreon support for The Gem Jam, our main podcast, which is why this doesn't come out all that frequently. Thank you so much to all of our generous Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible where we can yell at you about the Swan Princess and the He-Man She-Wear Christmas special and about William T. Riker. Join us next time. And until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Uh-huh.